0: your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, and if I may ask, may we all stand and read these four verses. Exodus 3, verses 7 to 10. The Bible says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. For the next three verses, uh, can you join me and read it out loud with me as well? And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You may now take your seats. Now, we all know that Israel was and is God's chosen nation. When they were under bondage, God was already setting His plans in motion, plans to rescue and free Israel, and plans to give them their own land, which would be Canaan land. Now, we also firmly believe that God is omnipotent, meaning that He is all-powerful. Now, Some may then level the question, if God was really omnipotent, if he was really all-powerful, and if he really cared about the nation of Israel, why couldn't he just teleport the Israelites out of captivity and into the promised land? And while he's at it, he could just clear Canaan land out of all the enemies, out of all the Hittites and the Canaanites. Couldn't he just do that if he really cared about the Israelites? In truth, that similar question is asked today. If God was truly omnipotent, then couldn't he just completely eliminate evil, completely eliminate injustice just by himself without our help? Sure he could. But though God is sovereign and all-powerful, reigning over everything under his universe, he has also given us, mankind, a blessed gift, which is free will. Now, this is not a theological um, type of sermon. But God does not desire a synthetic or a robotic relationship with us, with His prized creation, humankind. If all God, was, all God wanted was for us to submit to Him, He would have just taken our free will out. He would have taken out our critical thinking and made us like robots that just loved Him because it was in our DNA. But He didn't choose to do so. He gave us intentionally free will. The choice to do good, the choice to follow Him, or the choice to do evil and pursue wickedness. Now within this free will that has been afforded to us, we are given loads of choices. Like many today, we can choose to do evil. Sin abounds because, not because God is evil and unjust, sin abounds because this world has chosen to turn away from God and follow wickedness. That is why our society is so depraved. It's not because of God's injustice, it's because of our choices, There are many unsaved people today, however, who are upright and well-meaning citizens. You wouldn't call them, when you you see them in the streets, you wouldn't call them depraved or a maniac or a psychopath. They're well-meaning citizens. And no doubt that they do good things for the communities. But the topic of fulfilling our greatest good comes only through God. It is not enough to just be a good person or a nice person, but our greatest good comes through God, God. And because of His sovereignty, and because of our free will, God has given us opportunities. God has given us opportunities, opportunities that if we would accept them, if we would say yes to them, will set us on the path, the trajectory that will lead to our greatest good. But opportunities, whether from God or otherwise, can be accepted, can be rejected. Sure, God can do everything by himself. He has the power to do so. But folks, this is the joy of it. He wants to use us to do his great work, which is why he presents opportunities for us to serve. And now in Moses' origin story, he has been given a great opportunity, a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to lead his people and nation out of bondage and into a beautiful land that God has promised them already. Now, before Moses lies a, lies a fork on the road. On this side is to zealously accept the role that God has given him, or on this side, to decline, each with a different end. But though we already know the story, though we know that Moses will eventually be the leader of Israel, he at first was unwilling to accept that role. And the thrust of today's sermon is our unfortunate subconscious habit Of making excuses. Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States, said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Making excuses is a habit we must eliminate because excuses never help with our personal growth. These days you go to any sort of secular job or even not secular There's a lot of blame shifting going around. When something wrong happens, they either look above or look below and they just blame someone else besides themselves. And blame shifting is just another type of excuse. Truthfully, we only make excuses for things that we wish to avoid. An athlete will never make an excuse to avoid playing the sport he loves. A couple that is in love with each other, they will never make an excuse to avoid hanging out and eating together and having uh, time with each other. And most people, they will never try to avoid getting complimented or praised because those are things that are, are not uncomfortable for us. However, when people get in trouble, when they are reprimanded, they will try to make excuses as to why they are innocent and free of guilt. Or if you were to ask me right now that we would play soccer outside in this, uh, the weather that we're playing in, I would make a thousand excuses as to why I couldn't play with you. We only make excuses so that we can avoid something that is not within our comfort. When opportunities are presented before us, we make excuses because the opportunity given seems to be leading to a road, not in our comfort zone. But folks, if we keep making excuses and never stray from comfortable living and to only keep doing things that we find pleasure and joy and, and fun in, then these excuses will bar us from reaching the highest potential that God has in store for us. You saw that picture earlier in on one of the side. it says, created for a purpose. And I'm 100% sure that none of us here were created for the purpose of lazing around on the couch. We are created for a greater purpose that we can't even fathom yet. Now Moses almost made that mistake with five excuses of his own. These five are excuses that are still prevalent, that are still common today, and are used by many Christians. And tonight, we're going to deduce why each of them are not viable before God. But before we get into the sermon itself, let us just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with my... Uh, my sermon tonight, and I pray that you would uh, equip me and enable me to preach your word. I pray that you would help me to preach with all filling of the Spirit, with all love, and with all power. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of the people tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now years ago, all the way back in Moses' uh, beginnings, he had foolishly struck and killed an Egyptian taskmaster, and he was forced to run away from his luxurious life as royalty in Egypt. He fled to Midian, which was just kind of like somewhere in the desert, and he started anew. He lived a quiet and a humble life. He lived as a shepherd, relatively unknown. Now, I assume that Moses would have been content. He would have been completely fine if the, for the rest of his life, all he did was shepherd sheep. It was calm. It was serene, relatively stressful. You get to play with, not play with animals, but you get to be with animals all day. It's a great job. No one was out to get you. No one was out to get shepherds. If you have something against a shepherd, there's something wrong with you. But all of a sudden, one day while he was out shepherding, his life was about to take a different direction. God uniquely appeared to him through a burning bush, something that never happened before and never will happen again. And he presented to him a unique opportunity, again, to lead the people that he left behind long ago and lead them out of bondage and into the promised land. And right when God had finished his opening dialogue, Moses had something incredible to say, his first excuse. Look, at me, look with me at Exodus 3.11. It says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? His first excuse was, Who am I? Now a shepherd in the backwoods of Midian was the one that God chose for the job of leading the nation of Israel? Maybe Moses was thinking within himself, Lord, out of the thousands of other candidates that you could have chosen in our land, many of which are more suitable for the task at hand than I, why did you choose me? Who am I that I should be the one chosen for such a large task? Who am I that I should confront the very leader of a nation? A shepherd, a lowly shepherd confronting the seemingly all-powerful Pharaoh. Of Egypt and even to us logically speaking that's insanity the Pharaoh was right there at the top of the greatest civilization at the time of Egypt there was no equal to Egypt at that time and Pharaoh was right there at the peak of power and God was sending a humble shepherd to go confront him logically speaking Moses was right in asking this question who am I who is he that he should be the one to confront Pharaoh in comparison to Pharaoh He was a nobody. Not only that, but Moses was tasked with bringing Israel out of bondage. Moses has only been herding sheep for the last 40 years. And now God is expecting him to herd and shepherd an entire nation of a million people. Now he may have thought, those people will never listen to a shepherd from Midian. They might listen to a military leader. They might listen to uh, an inspiring statesman. But they would never follow a lowly shepherd like me. Who am I? From a logical perspective, God's choice doesn't seem reliable. A mere shepherd who was clearly not up to par with the task given. But God, for each of Moses' five excuses, he, had, he addressed each of them. And he had a reply. And God's reply is found in verse 12, if you look at me with, with, with me there. Exodus 3.12 says, And he said, Certainly, I will be with thee. For for sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire reply, but that is the focus I want to uh, key key in on. Certainly, I will be with thee. When Moses asked, "Who am I?" God answered, "Certainly, I will be with thee." Now you may be thinking, God didn't even answer Moses' question. Moses asked, "Who am I?" and God said, "Certainly, I will be with thee." That didn't address the the question at hand, God. But the reason why God answered in that way is because he saw through Moses' question. The fact that Moses said, who am I, shows that Moses was still dependent and reliant on himself. If you look at that verse again, it says, Moses kept putting the focus on self. Who am I that I should go, that I should bring Moses was focusing on the wrong I. What God wanted him to focus on was the great I am, not I yourself. He wanted him to be focused on God, the great I am. Folks, who we are is irrelevant because it is who we serve that matters. And he has promised both Moses and he has promised both us believers that he will always be with us and that it is certain certainly I will be with thee. No matter what God's will is for your life, no matter how mind-boggling it may be, no matter how astounding it may be, don't be fearful because certainly God will be with you. Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Now, after hearing God's response to his first excuse, Moses quickly thinks of a second. He was quick, quick thinking here. In Exodus 3.13, it says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Moses was given the task to declare Jehovah to the nation of Israel. And he arrived at this point, okay, I I go to the Israelites, now what? What do I say, Lord? How am I supposed to gain their trust, their support? How are they supposed to depend on me fully, like with with all of their life, if I don't even have anything good to tell them, if I have nothing persuasive to tell them? Now, what was God's reply? In short, in verses 14 and 15, God answered his question. Word for word, he instructed Moses on what to say to the Israelites. God wasn't expecting Moses to know every detail of his wills right now. But when the time does come, when Moses was questioning what what to do next, God assured him that he would provide an adequate answer for his question. God reveals details and information when we need it. It is all in his perfect timing. We don't need to know every single detail of His will before we have pursue it. Folks, there will come a time when God declares His will for your life. Well, He makes it abundantly clear that he wants, to go to, uh, he wants you to go down this certain path. But don't make the same mistake as Moses by making the excuse of saying, "I don't know enough details, Lord. Therefore I can't pursue that will. It's not viable. We know that God will continually guide us in the path that He would want us to trod if we just trust Him. A Russian writer once said, If we wait for the moment when everything, absolutely everything is ready, we shall never begin. And folks, that happens all the time. There are well-meaning Christians who are just waiting for everything to align, all the stars to align, for God to show them everything there is to reveal. And guess what? They never get started. Because they just kept waiting and waiting for everything to just be revealed to them. And that is not God's purpose. There there is no need for us to know all the details of His plan. Because His purpose is for us to put our faith and trust in Him day by day. If we had the entire blueprints of our lives in our hands, the, the nature of our flesh is that we would ignore the master architect who designed that blueprint. He doesn't give us the entire blueprint for a reason because He wants us to trust Him and go to Him and ask for guidance every single day. And if we do so, little by little, God will start to reveal those details that we crave. He will start to reveal the things that are necessary for us to know. John 16, 13, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, and guess what? We all have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. The Spirit of truth is always accessible to us. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Now for the remainder of chapter 3, not only did God tell Moses exactly what to say, but he even revealed how Pharaoh would respond. And guess what? He assured Moses that in in verse 18, that the Israelites would in fact listen to his words. Now that's great news. He had word from God. God himself, that the Israelites would listen to him. That should have been enough to convince Moses, right? But not yet. Moses was still not persuaded. Doubt still clung to his mind. And after his first two excuses were shot, shot down, Moses was hoping that this third one, this third one's a nice one, that this third one will do it, that it will convince God not to send him to save Israel. Exodus 4.1, it says, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Essentially, his next excuse was, Lord, I have no authority. Maybe in Moses' mind, he thought, Lord, like I just said, I'm a shepherd from the middle of nowhere, from the backwoods of Midian. Though you say they will, though you tell me that they will listen to me, I know for a fact that they won't believe me. Imagine saying that and thinking that against God, that you know something for a fact that He doesn't. Why would they place their trust in me? I have no credible authority. I'm not, a, I'm not a government official. I'm not a soldier. I have no authority, Lord. I have absolutely zero business being their leader. But God's third response to this third excuse was unique. Instead of responding with just words, God gave Moses two proofs. Two ways to show his power. One, he used the, the, the rod that Moses was holding, and he made it transform into a snake and back to a rod. And the other proof was he made Moses' hand turn leprous and then back to normal as well. Two of those proofs were, to, were designed to show Moses that the man that he was talking to, the being he was talking to was God, Jehovah God. It's true that Moses by himself would have no credible authority will have no credible power. After all, folks, he's just a shepherd. But Moses had the authority of God. It doesn't matter how much authority we have, because it plays no role for the task given to us, which is to win the, the world. What made all the difference is the authority of the one who commissions us. Now, it is quite clear that God's will for us is to declare the gospel but many of us are hesitant for a couple of reasons. One of which is the fact that we feel that we have no authority like Moses. We think, why would anybody listen to what I tell them? I'm just a random nobody. I'm just their coworker. I'm just their, their, their fellow classmate. They won't be persuaded by my words. They won't even listen to me. They won't bat an eye at what I say to them, at the gospel that I present. And folks, this is the reason why we ought to use the word of God but we are evangelizing. Because we often overlook the sheer impact that just merely quoting scripture can have on a person's heart. Quoting our beliefs, quoting, what, uh, quoting our opinions, quoting our arguments, quoting our apologetics, using other people's arguments and apologetics, those are all not necessarily bad things. They can be good and can be used for good and can be used to persuade uh, an individual. Those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with apologetics and logical arguments. But quoting God's word trumps anything devised by our own minds. Better than any argument that we can conjure up. Because his word alone truly carries authority. There's a man by the name of Ray Comfort. He's a well-known street preacher and evangelist. And he once said, Those who are won by apologetics will immediately leave if someone presents an even better argument. But those who are won by God's word will stay and be faithful no matter what arguments might be made against Christianity. Apologetics, I'm not against apologetics. I admire those who are great in apologetics. But folks, God's word carries much more authority and carries much more power and can persuade even the hardest of hearts. When we go forth in our personal evangelism, we must go forth with our so-called rod. Moses had his rod to show God's power, to show God's authority. And we must go forth with the word of God and declare of the authority of the one who has sent us. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Maybe there's an individual that you just cannot crack You've shared the gospel with them multiple times and they've just denied it. Maybe violently denied it. Maybe they made fun of you. But ask yourself this, have you tried using the word of God? Have you tried quoting the word of God to them? Because you will never know the sheer impact of the word of God unless you use it in your personal evangelizing. After having received a live demonstration of God's power, Moses was still not convinced. He still believed that he was not the man for the job. After being assured that God will always be with him, after being told that God will inform him of what he needs to know, and after seeing the power of God with his own two eyes, Moses was still attempting to excuse himself. A philosopher once said, rationalization, or the act of making excuses, is a process of not perceiving reality is a process of not perceiving reality, but of attempting to make reality fit one's emotion. The reality of the situation was that the omnipotent God has appeared unto Moses and has divinely commissioned Moses a task to do, but because of Moses' emotion at this time, he was ignoring all of that. And he had twisted the reality of the fact that God was right there in front of him. His fourth excuse hits home for me, and it hits home for many here today as well. Read with me Exodus 4.10. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech, and of a slow tongue. His fourth excuse was, Lord, I'm simply not skilled enough to get the job done. This task that you set before before me is a task that requires a greater leader, a greater orator. I'm not skilled enough to get this job done, Lord. Moses described the fact that he's not eloquent. And we don't know exactly what this entails. Maybe Maybe he had a stutter. Maybe he stuttered when he talked. Maybe he had to pause for long periods of time just to say a sentence. Maybe his voice was frail, very weak, and not commanding enough. Maybe his words didn't inspire didn't inspire or spark confidence in the people. Maybe he wasn't quick-witted when he talked. To be fair, he had spent a good portion of his life talking to just sheep, or mainly sheep. Maybe he was anxious, maybe he was shy. But all we know for sure is that he was not eloquent, that he was slow of speech. But lack of skill, not being qualified for a job that God has set you out to do, is never an issue with him. In verses 10 to 11, he assured Moses that he was the one who created everyone, he was the one who crafted each individual, every single one of us, with specific strengths and specific weaknesses. I'm appalled that the, the story that Pastor White told me, uh, told everyone earlier, I'm appalled that that even was a thing, that that was a reality. Just because a like, baby has Down syndrome, you suggest abortion? And it's crazy to me that, how that's uh, even uh, in some people's minds. Because all of us are created for a specific purpose. All of us have unique strengths and weaknesses that God wants us to use. God assured Moses that no matter what your weakness may be, He will equip and enable you to accomplish the task that was given to you. First Corinthians one twenty-seven. This is a, this is one I think one of Pastor Tim's favorite verses. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And Moses was one of the weak things of the world. And he knew him, He knew himself that he was one of the weak things of the world, and God has chosen him to confound the mighty Pharaoh, the mighty Egypt. As Pastor White mentioned in passing in the earlier sermon, in the morning sermon, D.L. Moody has a testimony that is near and dear to my heart. He was one of the greatest evangelists, having seen one million saved during one million souls saved during his ministry. But in the beginning, he was told by all of those around him, by many of the big preachers around him. That he had no future as a preacher. That he had no skill at all for being an evangelist. He was uneducated. His speech and oratorical skills were subpar. And he kept making grammatical mistakes. And he kept making mistakes in in, in speech every single time he taught. And the pastors around him said, The only thing you have going for you, D.L. Moody, is your zeal and your willingness. But you have none of the technical skills needed for a preacher. (laughs) And guess what? I don't even know the names of the preachers who told that to him. But I do know D.L. Moody. I do know how God used D.L. Moody in a great way. Because God used his willingness and his zeal and transformed him and enabled him to become a great preacher. It doesn't matter if you were unequipped or unable in the beginning, but God will make you able. And God will equip you with the necessary strengths for the job. It is not worthy for us to excuse ourselves from serving God Just because we feel we have no skill. Now the reason why this hits home for me, and the reason why it's very dear, this fourth excuse hits home for me. Growing up, I was always competitive. And I think many of you know this, I'm very competitive. These days I'm not anymore. But back then I was very competitive. And the reason why was because at my core, I was angry at myself. Growing up, I was always the brunt of all jokes. I was too short. I was too skinny, never meeting the societal standards. So I always felt whenever I played anything that required skill, I always felt like I had to prove myself to people. That I, had, I always had a massive chip on my shoulder whenever I performed in any game of con- in a contest of skill. As an older teen, I thought this would all just subside. But as I grew up, nothing changed except the fact that I grew in height slightly. But now even more insecurities appeared for the longest time my mentality was that I was a good for nothing that I was a good for nothing individual with no notable skill with no notable talent I'm a good for nothing you know what maybe that maybe that is true but I no longer throw a pity party because I know that it is irrelevant how talented I am and what is relevant is that I decided to tap into the power that God has offered to me and that is to be reliant and dependent on God and not my own talents, not my own skills. I don't need to be an incredibly talented, incredibly educated, incredibly skillful man to fulfill his will for my life because he will equip me when I need it, when I need so. My confidence is not in myself, it's completely in him. <clears throat> Sorry, voice is cracking from the heat. <laughs> when I come up to preach, I'm not confident because of the fact that I have these skills, but I'm confident that God has strengthened me in times past to preach. And I know that he will do so every single time. My confidence is in God and not myself. Isaiah 40, 29, he giveth power to the faint, And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. And folks, I have no, I have no might of myself. All of the time, most, a lot of times I'm faint. He giveth me power and he giveth me strength. And folks, that's all I need. And Moses will soon realize this as well. Now what happens when all logical arguments have been shut down and refuted? Well, you just end up outright denying God. Many times we beat around the bush and make tons of excuses to try and circumvent the, God's will for our life. But there will come a time when, all you, when you've used up all of your excuses, when all of the logical excuses are gone, you will just cut to the chase and outright deny God. And this is what Moses does in Exodus 4.13. And he said, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Moses' fifth and final excuse was to beg God to just choose someone else. Lord, I know you made great, you refuted all of my excuses. But Lord, just please send someone else, just choose someone else. Now, I may be completely wrong here, but it seems that more than ever, students are attending some sort of Bible college. I don't know how the, what the numbers are like, so I don't really have any statistics to prove this point. But I'm just, again, there's an observation. But though there are so many who attend Bible colleges all around states or just everywhere in the world, I find it fascinating that there are fewer and fewer full-time ministry workers Full-time ministry workers are on the decline rather than on the rise, even though there are more students than, more students than ever attending Bible college. Because it is, students are seeing the need because we know that there's a need, but fewer and fewer are taking the lead. There are less and less missionaries, pastors, and evangelists because if a, group, a whole group of people all have the same mentality of, Lord, choose someone else, eventually there will be none left for, to go. More and more people are just saying, Lord, please just choose someone else. I want to live my life. I don't don't want to live in in, in full-time ministry. That's not what I want to do. Lord, just choose someone else. First of all, I'm not even skilled enough to be a pastor. Please just choose someone else. Interestingly enough, out of all of Moses' excuses, this is the one that finally kindled God's anger. Everything else God just responded. But in verse 14, if you look with me, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. After Moses said, choose someone else, this is when God started to finally, uh, his anger was kindled. Now, I ask you this, have you been telling God to send someone else have you been purposely denying his will and telling him to, telling God to send someone else to do that purpose? Have you been telling God to send someone else for the sake of living your own life how you would want to live your own life? Let us not forget Galatians 2:20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ Who liveth in me, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Submission of oneself, submission of one's life, isn't just dedicated and exclusive to those who are in full time ministry. Because God died for all of us. And if you are a believer today, understand that God gave Himself for you. The least we can do is give and dedicate a life to Him. Instead of just pushing again and again and again to send someone else. Moses finally listened and he finally submitted to God. And he became one of the household figures of the Bible. Today he's an example of meekness, of patience, long-suffering and faithfulness. His name would have been forgotten long ago if he had continued as a shepherd. And there was nothing wrong with being a shepherd. But it is wrong to be a shepherd if God had greater plans for your life. There's nothing wrong about being a doctor. Doctors, we all need doctors and nurses. I admire them. We all need great uh, uh, engineers, architects, etc., etc. But it is wrong when God has called you to do something else, but you decide to do your own thing. These are the five excuses that Moses used, but there are hundreds more. We're much more creative than that. More, we use excuses like, Lord, I don't have time. I'm too busy. This one's a, uh, a famous one among the Christian circles. Lord, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. And we use it. Most of the time, we're not praying about it. We just say it to excuse ourselves to make a commitment at that spot, at that point in time. We just say, Lord, you know, I'll pray about it. For some, it may be, I'm too young to do anything. I'll wait until I'm a bit older. Or for the other way around, I'm too old. I've already passed the cutoff point. There's, there's no point in me serving God anymore. For some, the excuse might be, I'm too far gone. But Pastor White just covered this here in the prodigal son. Or just a sermon on the prodigal son. No one is too far gone to come back to God. Because God is lovingly reaching His hand out to you. All you have to do is grab onto Him. No one is too far gone to serve God. For some people, they just plainly say, I don't have enough interest in the things of God. For some, they say, I'll start tomorrow. I'll start next week. I'll start next month. I'll start next year. They just keep delaying and delaying. And they just never actually get to serving God. Folks, have you been making excuses to avoid prayer every morning? Have you been making excuses to avoid Bible reading? To avoid ministry? To avoid service? To avoid personal soul winning? And in general, have you been making every excuse possible to avoid God and live your own life? Some may be here tonight who are making excuses as to why they can't accept Christ just yet. And they're just withholding salvation, even though they know they need to be saved, they just keep making excuses as to why it should wait for a bit longer. A writer once said, and this is to just to close the sermon, a writer once said, excuses are merely nails used to build a house of failure. Now I don't know about you, but who would want to build a house of failure? A house that will just come crashing down in the future. Certainly not me. I don't want to build a house of failure. And I'm sure you don't want to as well. Then let's stop making excuses and build a house of success by obeying God's perfect will. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.